following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Christ regarding his sin. When a man is converted, the Holy Spirit convicts his heart. He repents of his sin after a full and complete confession. And as he agrees with God about his sin, as that honest confession is made, He then turns from his sin completely and wholly. He does not keep any of it. He is created supernaturally into a new being. He is made new in Christ. When a man is made new in Jesus Christ, the glorious thing that happens is his sin is wiped away. He is clean. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. When a man stops sinning, when a person stops sinning because of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ in their life, they are then called Christian, which means They have chosen to no longer follow the way of darkness and death, but they have chosen to turn and follow the way of light. They follow Jesus Christ. Now, this process is instantaneous. It is not a long-term process. And if today you are still walking in rebellion and sin against God, It is either because you have never been converted or you have gone back and rebuilt 
with the Spirit of God destroyed. There is simply no excuse for rebellion against God. There is no excuse for sinning against the Almighty. We are given in Jesus Christ the washing and purifying by His blood that totally cleanses us. Now please, if this is not your experience, do not establish the truth based on what you feel or what you think or what you've been taught. Go to the scriptures and read carefully First John and many other portions of scripture. So the question is not, whether you believe or feel or think, that will not alter the truth of God's word. Experience is not the judge of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So we must come into cooperation, oneness, with Jesus and by his mighty power by faith in him we are transformed and sin ceases to exist in our lives now all the years that you've been living you've been building up habits ways and those habits and those ways may become very uncomfortable for you because now you're struggling as a new Christian to turn aside from that old habit of drugging and drinking and fornicating and lying and stealing and cheating. You're, you've turned away from that old habit of gossip, building yourself up in order to tear another one down. You've, you've given up the pride of life, but now pride wants to come back in and capture your heart. And so there is a second step. It is called in Scripture, sanctification. The word sanctification in Scripture comes from harmatia. It means to be made holy. When a man is sanctified, he is cleansed on the inside of all of those old tendencies towards sin. So, the first step is to stop sinning by the power of the blood of Jesus, not by white-knuckling it. The second step is to be made holy, again, an instantaneous work of God that is accomplished by faith, not by white-knuckling it. Now, please understand, your entire salvation is based on your faith in Jesus Christ and your willingness to submit to him and allow him to accomplish that work in your heart. Now, this work of sanctification or being made holy is literally inward rest and outward activity in service of our king. We become useful and we become victorious in all of our ways. We are delivered from torment, 
the mighty keeping power of God is now realized in our lives. And it is with amazement today that I want to talk with you about how this wondrous blessing of God can be lost. Now for some, you may be surprised at the idea that such a precious gift could ever be lost. But it can be. This is a pearl of great price that you would think every person would jealously guard. One would reason that such a life is so close to God, its joys so deep, its satisfaction so perfect that scarcely anything on the outside could have sufficient force and influence to end so complete a union and so delightful of an intimacy with Jesus. But I must tell you, this experience is not based on feelings. It is based on the reality of who Jesus is and what he wants to do with you. Now, there are feelings that attend this. And there are times when things happen in our life that utterly devastate us, that rip us apart inside. And it's in those times of great testing that we must have the promises of God and we must hold on to them and we must be faithful to Jesus and not become violent and angry, critical. It's in these times that the true testing takes place. There are cases reported, unfortunately, where men have lost this experience with Jesus and they have walked away from him. Now there are some who don't believe that a person can ever lose their salvation. Others make an argument and defense for the rejection of this blessing of sanctification. If, if it can be lost, then it wasn't real. But that's foolishness. There is much ignorance among many as to what is done in this work of sanctification. Some have foolishly believed that a Christian can no longer sin. But that can't be true. In the Garden of Eden, it was plain that they were not in sin but the temptation came and they fell to that temptation. The proneness to sin is removed in sanctification while the power of choosing always remains with the person. We choose whether we will sin or not. This power of choice was exercised by some of the angels and they fell with Satan as Adam fell in paradise and reneged on his agreement with God. So people who are sanctified or made holy 
can fall from that place of glorious rest in Jesus. We call it backsliding. Now, when a person loses their sanctification, it is prayed that they will retain their regenerated experience and they will not go into deliberate and obvious sin. But the temptations may come in great floods and they can rebuild what God tore down by His Spirit. Sanctification, that glorious experience of peace and love with Jesus, can be lost. And this is no more an argument against its truth and blessedness than backsliding can be used to refute the doctrine and experience of justification or being made holy. The Bible and its warnings prepares us for this awful possibility. We are told in the scripture to watch and pray and strive lest we fall into temptation. And as solemnly as a funeral bell falls the word, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We are not only informed that Satan would deceive the very elect, if that were possible, but we are shown him defiling the high priest Joshua and bringing him down with an awful crash and everlasting ruin one of the members of the apostolic college whom Christ had chosen. The ground and possibility of the fall of the sanctified is pictured in the house that has been swept clean and yet Satan with other spirits returns to it takes possession again and the man's state said Jesus is worse than the first again the scriptural bias for such a fall is presented in the field of wheat in which there was not a single tear here is evidently a pure heart but while the owner of the field slept an enemy came and sowed tares the damage was done while the man slumbered herein is the explanation we can by negligence carelessness sloth or laziness lack of watchfulness allow the great adversary to re-sow his tares in our purified souls if he did so in the clean spirit of adam in paradise he can do so in the clean soil of a man in America. Satan does not resign his throne or give up his work because we get sanctified. If we become careless and sleepy, we will sow the tares of inbred sin in us all over again. And you know, I was driving this morning and suddenly behind me, a police car turned on his lights. I pulled over into the parking lot. He pulled up behind me. He came to my window and he said, Do you know why I'm stopping you? I said, No, sir, I don't. He said, Well, your registration has expired on your car. What? I looked, and to my utter amazement, 
my registration on my car, my inspection on my car, expired in October of 2017. So for five months, I've been driving the car with no inspection on it. Well, how could that happen? Well, during those five months, I was getting used to living with my new wife. I was riding with her in her car while my car, needing some repairs, sat in the driveway. I can give you all kinds of reasons why I missed it. But you know what the bottom line reason is for why my car had an expired inspection ticket on it? It's very simple. I was not paying attention. I was distracted. And the distraction is going to cost me a fine. And I have to go this afternoon and get the inspection done on my car. As we walk with Jesus, we can lose our concentration. We can begin to focus on everything around us. We can begin to focus on work. We can begin to focus on all the things the world is throwing at us. And if we become careless, we're likely to have Jesus turn on his lights and stop us and be the celestial policeman to say, you're out of line. Now, what I'm trying to say to you is that it takes a great deal of attention to maintain that walk with Jesus. It takes time to be holy. Now, after the picture of the devil repossessing the house and the field of wheat, we find in Scripture the testimony of a great number to confirm the teaching of the Bible that this most beautiful and satisfying grace of God can be lost. Now, I need to say this to you very honestly. Many of you have already lost it if you ever possessed it, and you're even unconscious of its absence. And many of you have never gone on to sanctification. You've been satisfied to say, Okay, I was born again. I'm now a Christian. And you go about your life. And frankly, I've been astonished as I've begun to earnestly seek the Lord for revival in America, but specifically here in Woodbridge. I've been absolutely astonished at the carelessness, the lack of concern, the looking at every other activity as though it were somehow 
precious to the heart while neglecting the most important work of all, that of seeking after Jesus with all of our heart, of praying for the Holy Spirit to come in power. Now I grant, many of you have never seen the Holy Spirit come in power and change a nation. I've seen it in a very small way. But that's why we've read to you the stories of the Argentine revival and the Kentucky revival. And we're going to continue and we're going to share soon next week stories of Sister Mary Etter and some of what happened as she walked in the Spirit in great power and authority. There is a time now, and I emphasize there is a time right now that will not be here tomorrow. There is a time right now for you to become very serious about Jesus and to begin to devour the scriptures and to spend hours in prayer and to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit now and to move on into this marvelous gift of sanctification where the supernatural work of God lifts you to such a high place in the Spirit that you are full of love and kindness and mercy and your heart is on fire for the lost. Come on, be honest with me. Is there any fire in your heart for the lost of this world? Have you won even one person to Jesus in the last five years? If not, you have a cold heart toward Jesus. I don't mean to be judgmental, but it's clear that if you do not have a desperate longing cry in your heart for the lost, you are probably lost as well. It is impossible for a vibrant, alive Christian man or woman not to be desperately concerned and praying for the lost and the dying. And that praying will lead you to specific words and actions. Now, you may not win that person, but you will certainly testify to them about Jesus Christ and you will call them to follow Jesus. I speak to many people in many different places. Most are cold and dead and not interested. But not to be surprised, because most Christians that I talk to are cold and dead and don't care. I pray that's not your case today. And if it is, I urge you to repent and seek the fullness of conversion because you're not yet converted. You're one of the five foolish. You're lost. You'll be cast out. Mr. Wesley talks about how one can lose the blessing how one can lose the, 
the fire of God in his heart. And when you lose that fire, you're on your way to being lost. Satan does not die because we get sanctified, nor does he give a man up because he has a pure heart. If he assailed the innocent Adam in Eden and the spotless Son of God on earth, he will certainly not pass by a holy soul without many and varied and violent assaults. He would particularly enjoy getting such a son of thunder once more in his power, locking again his formerly liberated lips, paralyzing his energies, and drawing up his buoyant life. There are many such shorn Samsons today in the land, men who once towered in this grace and burned with holy fire, but they've been crippled in various ways, are sunk in gloom and silence, no longer sing and pray, no longer want to hear the preaching. It's all casualness. Some of you have even gone over to the other side and your heart is filled with cynicism and bitterness and anger. I know this is not easy to hear. But to sin as a free moral agent, we have that right. The thought or picture of the evil is presented. It is in the power of the man to immediately reject the thought and allow it no lodgment even for a moment. This is what needs to be done, and many do it. But if the conception or picture of this pleasant thing is allowed to remain in the mind, it passes at once into the region of of the sensibilities, the consciousness of the mind and the heart. And the commotion is felt within as a result. It's like bait being laid out for us. And if it's cherished... The realm of desire is invaded and a longing for the forbidden thing is realized. The next stratum of the moral nature that is now entered in the will and the man determines upon the act of commission. Then after the determination of the will, the sin emerges into daylight in the form of an act. Then follows repeated acts which result in character, and character settles the question of destiny. The root or descending stairway is seen at a glance in the following arrangement thought, desire, will, act, habit, character destiny this is a diagram proof showing that it is not necessary to have inbred sin in the heart in order to do wrong the moral thoughts and the volitional powers of the man make an avenue for the entrance of evil just as they do for the admission of good 
The blessing of sanctification, however, is not lost through a a flagrant sin or immorality. Satan would never come at first to the sanctified with gross temptations. He would at later periods of weakness. But at first he approaches in much more subtle and refined methods in order to worm his way back into the heart from which he has been cast out. The great majority of those who lose the blessing have done so from a failure in definite testimony. Now this appears strange to the opposers of sanctification who laugh at such a blessing that is to be retained by a constant testifying to the fact of its present, its presence and enjoyment. But they overlook the fact that the blessing is intended of God for all, and the testimony attracts attention, inflames desire for its possession, and so spreads the truth and increases the number of benefited souls. Hence the silent professor of holiness has committed a grave error. He has hidden his talent in a napkin, and the divine command now is, take it away from him. I want to say more about that. I have seen men and women who are holy before God refuse to pray. They will sit silent in a prayer meeting. There is opportunity given to testify and they will remain in their seat with their lips locked. They are already in the first step of losing the holiness of God in their life and in their heart. Because pride steps in and says, don't say a word. They won't understand anyway. Even if I talk about it, they won't understand it. And so there is a superiority that begins to come into the heart and into the, into the mind. So the great majority of those who lose this blessing have done so from a failure of giving testimony for what God has done. The silent professor of holiness has committed a grave error. Mr. Fletcher, that great Methodist preacher, lost the blessing four times because of his silence. He says so in the life of of Hester Ann Rogers. It is a false humility to be silent in regard to this grace, for it is not man's work we testify to, but God's. How many people, how many people have utterly refused to stand up and say, this is what God has done, and this is what he's doing in my life. And because of that, they have lost the pearl of great price. The blessing may be lost by allowing the soul to become burdened again. Outward trials and troubles do not cease because the soul is baptized with the Holy Spirit. The disciplines abound in afflictions. After their sanctification. So after you've come into this experience of entire sanctification you've been made holy you've been anointed by the holy spirit you've been baptized in the spirit 
you will still have all manner of outward trials and troubles. Satan is very anxious to persuade the heart to accept back the old load of mental care which Jesus took away in sanctification. Fret and worry is injected. Then there's a little self-pity and fault-finding and grief over our loneliness, a lack of sympathy and a life suffering. So the wedge is driven in and the gap has commenced, which unless speedily closed will result in the entire loss of the blessing. It is at the peril of losing the experience that the soul allows itself to criticize another, to find fault, or to worry about anything. They that walk in the king's holy way must have pure hearts, gentle tongues, loving ways, happy faces, and restful lives. There was once an old house in London that had a stone placed over its arched entrance which read, No burdens allowed to pass here. No burdens allowed to pass here. This is the law of the sanctified life. To break it is to be shut out of the experience. The Lord said to me, in a time of great trial and tribulation recently, wait on the Lord, and the Lord will carry you through. Now, he's been doing that, and I'm very grateful. And I give testimony today that in the, in the impossible, in the impossible situations of my life right now, God has been carrying me. When we are short $1,400 for the radio for this next month, when we are short again $1,400 in the ability to pay rent for my house, in both of these cases, the Lord miraculously provided and we were carried. And so I enter this new month rejoicing. And I testify before you now. Jesus is faithful to his word. I've been reading and meditating over John, the 13th chapter. And I've been encouraged in the early hours of this morning as I read John 13 and then moved on and read and meditated over John 14 and then moved on and read and meditated over John 15. These three chapters have given me great courage, great hope. Now, I know without question that I am called to wait upon the Lord. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was in great stress. I had forgotten about 
waiting on the Lord and that he would carry me through. In the moment, I was just panicked. And very quietly, the Lord said to me, Rest in me, Ray. He'd never before used my personal name. All he said was, Rest in me, Ray. It was such a comforting word to my heart. Instantly, all of the tension was drained away. This morning, as I went before the Lord, sanctified and holy, again, I thanked him for speaking to me and saying, Rest in me, Ray. The scriptures are very plain. We are to rest in Jesus. If you read Hebrews, the third and fourth chapters, there is a place of rest for God's people. The Sabbath is Jesus. It is not a day of rest. It is a person of rest. It is seven days a week rest in Jesus. Now it's very plain that we need to testify that we have received from God this wonderful gift of conversion and of sanctification. If you have not yet received the gift of sanctification, testify to your gift of conversion and that you no longer walk in any known sin against God. Testify of the joy of knowing you are washed and made clean. And then cry out to God for the next step of having even those inward tendencies erased from your heart so that all temptation comes from outside of you, not from inside of you. This blessing may be lost by disobedience. One single act will hardly cause the whole gracious work of heart purity to be swept away, unless it's a very grave transgression. But the smallest act of disobedience will bring shadows and loss of liberty, and if persisted in it, certainly at last will have a horrible result in your life. The blessing of sanctification is lost gradually. It is a rare thing to see such a glorious light extinguished and the life ended by a single deed. The rule is a slow leakage or gradual forfeiture. A very slight angle of divergence is formed, and by and by the fact of Moral distance is not only felt by the drifting one, but is recognized by others. There seems to be a certain order of departure from the blessing. Now, please understand, we're not talking here about sin, outward acts of sin. We're talking here about how you walk with Jesus in a personal, intimate way. The first sign that you are beginning to move away from Jesus is the joy of your salvation is no longer in your heart. This is a tender, beautiful, upwelling gladness in your soul that never ceases if the man lives up to his privilege. This is the crown and glory of sanctification. It is this which gives the bright look to the face. 
This is what gives the brightness in the eye and the buoyancy of the soul and the inexpressible ring of gladness and triumph to the voice. This is the first thing that is affected when holiness as an experience is beginning to be lost. We don't mean by this joy, a feeling of ecstasy. We know people with this gladness who never have overwhelming transports, never shouted. They just possess the quiet inner joy born of a conscious heart purity and the indwelling of Jesus. And this is read unmistakably in the happy smile and the deep restful look in the eyes and the unruffled peace that literally beams in the shining face. Nor do we mean that a temporary arrest of this joy signifies the fact of sin or the loss of the blessing of sanctification. A short substance of this inner gladness may arise from causes not sinful. Mr. Wesley speaks of the joy being withheld for a little while why it is done and what the person should do under the circumstances, Madame Guyon writes in one of her books that the withdrawal of joy at times is to wean us away from devotion to feelings. But as the joy we speak of is not an emotion, but the soul's own gladness of being right and clean, I would question whether she is right. The joy that is being spoken of here is not a feeling. It will have feelings. But there is an absolute assurance that is granted to every child of God who walks clean in Jesus, without shadows, with love for others, obeying the commands of Jesus to love. Now, it is the regular absence of this joy that should begin to alarm a Christian. Some of you have never had this joy, have you? Life is heavy and hard for you. If you are willing to come to Jesus and ask him to purify your heart, that heaviness will disappear. It is possible to live this joy for a few hours. But it is not possible that sanctification as a work of grace is lost except by deliberate disobedience or being distracted on my part. The tender, beautiful, upwelling joy that makes life worth living, that can disappear for a little while. But I'm speaking about something much deeper than that. I'm speaking about that deep inner knowing that Jesus is my Lord. It is even in the walk of sanctification at times given to groaning and sighing and tears as we humble ourselves before our Lord. 
a time when we come and ask for what is absolutely necessary. And then we move back into that place of peace and joy and rest. And all of that joy is suddenly restored as quickly as we left it. And we find ourselves with our face buried in your hands and our face smiling. The sun is up, the springtime has come. And the watchman on the wall, he says, all is well. So the first thing to watch for is a complete lack of joy in walking with Jesus. A man said to me, I don't enjoy walking with Jesus. It's a heavy burden. Well, in that case, in that man's situation, he was walking as a legalist. He was keeping all of the commandments, all of the laws that he thought he was supposed to keep, but he was doing it in order to get something from God, not to be in fellowship with God. Now, there is a second thing that is lost after the joy, and that is liberty. The person finds himself hampered in different ways. The tongue grows stiff. The presence of people begins to paralyze. There is a lack of liberty in our heart, in both the mind and in the body. It may be that sickness begins to happen in our body, exhaustion. We lose our liberty to praise and worship Jesus. There is a third step in the departure of this blessing. It is the loss of power. It begins to dawn upon the individual that his words are not as effective as formerly. His prayers do not prevail. His testimonies fail to move or convince. Here again, we feel that we should talk about how difficult it is sometimes in this journey. And there are times when all we can do is lay before the Lord and weep because we see the great work of the gospel that needs to be done. And we recognize that we have not yet received the full Pentecost anointing with power to proclaim the gospel. And that brings great sorrow to our heart. I'm not talking about that kind of sorrow. I'm talking about a person who grows careless who begins to lose their joy, who begins to be in bondage in their life, bondage to fear, bondage to, to all manner of oppressions. And they lose their liberty. Now, the blessing itself as a work of grace finally leaves a person. And now their walk with Jesus is simply a struggle day by day. And this is when now a man 
or woman is in a position where sin can become very powerful and the bait is put out and the person begins to move toward the bait of the devil to sin against God. And the work itself of holiness begins to be utterly destroyed. Now there's no joy or freedom. The power is gone. And temptation has its way. Most of you who listen to this broadcast understand, and many of you are struggling. You're being tempted on every side. You have no liberty. You're in bondage. There's no joy. There's only one way you can turn that around. In God's mercy, the spiritual alarm bell is going off. Now is the time to quickly go to Jesus Increase the reading of scripture, the the prayer time, and plead for the cleansing blood to once more restore you. You can never be happy once you've tasted of the goodness of God. You'll never be happy again with anything else occupying your heart. We are spoiled in a proper sense for this world. So I'm very grateful today that God holds out warnings and signals along the way. Do you see those warnings and those signals? Do you see coldness of heart? Have you begun to sin against the Lord once more? Have you begun to walk back into old habits? Back into smoking the pot? Back into fornication, going to the clubs? Have you walked back into bitterness and anger and rancor? Have you wronged others? Now is the time to quickly go back to Jesus. The case of many of you is most severe because many of you have never even been sanctified in Christ. You've said it was the work of a lifetime and and that when you died, you thought you were going to be excused of all of your sin and brought into the kingdom of God. Hebrews 9 is very clear that will not happen. If you're one today who has never experienced the fullness of Jesus, the joy and the peace and the love, if you've never experienced the fullness of that and you've never left your sin, you're still captive to sin, you are in a desperate place today. And it is necessary for you to quickly turn from that 
and seek Jesus with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul. And if you seek him, he will be found by you. We live at a time in this world when it's very obvious that everything is shutting down. My dad used to describe it this way. He said at the factory where all of the men are working downstairs on their machines, the boss comes walking down the stairway into the factory and he has a bunch of keys in his hand and he shouts to the men, It's closing time, boys! Jesus is about to walk down those stairs into this world and he's going to say, It's closing time! And the clean will remain clean, and the filthy will remain filthy, and the judgment will be set. How will you stand in that day of great judgment? We're out of time for this broadcast. I'm very grateful that you've listened. I pray that you've heard my heart today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to hear from you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or come worship with us this Sunday. 12 o'clock noon, we begin to pray at the All Saints Church, in Woodbridge, Virginia. The address is 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com or go to our revivalnow.church. Next revival meeting will be Monday night, 7.30 at the All Saints Anglican Church. Are you cold of heart? My eyes are dry faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold, and I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead. Wash me anew in the wine.